Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond On a platinum chain I've written a letter to daddy His address is mildlypleased.com I don't know. I guess we're all daddy. Uh, so this is The Pick, the podcast that features um, one of the most infamous feuds in all of podcasting between me, Colin Westman. John Hotney. And Sean Lemmy. Yeah. Uh, th- it's a three-way feud? <laughs> it's a feud triangle. But there's not a feud between them. It's just between the two of them and Courtney. <laughs> uh, it's a three-way oh, feud. I'm, the most I'm pretty sure intense I know. kind of feud. I played Smash. Yeah. I've played Smash Bros. Uh, guys. I know what it's like. I'm having a hard time playing <laughs> famous three-way feuds. Maybe like Courtney Love and uh, the surviving members of Nirvana. <laughs> it's the only one I can think of. That's true. Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic seem like they're on pretty good terms. Uh, but maybe that's the way our feud is too. <laughs> but no one knows it. No one knows who's the one that everyone's the other two are feuding against. Is it me? <laughs> That's true. Hell yeah. Uh, That's only when it comes to video games, because you're... Not this so one. Is this the one that can also games. be two-player? Uh, anyways, we are talking about whatever happened to Baby Jane on this episode yeah. of The Pick. Uh, before we get to that, let's do our yeah! little picks. And... Uh, Speaking of video games, dude, in a, dude, dude. In a rare occurrence, has anyone been Gooigi be for Halloween? A what a game. great costume! Even though, uh, man, that, that would be stick. Feels very appropriate for this time of year. It is Luigi's Mansion Three on the Switch. Yeah, have either guy, either of you guys played this? I think it can. I haven't tried it. I could definitely imagine it being yeah. two-player, <laughs> because in this version you have uh, Gooigi, who is like a, a goo, a gooey ectoplasm version of Luigi. Yeah. Yeah, well, I feel like this would be the Halloween to do it. Because I believe Luigi's Mansion Three came out on uh, Halloween of last year. So you'd be I don't so think hyped! I gotta play this. I've been waiting. I've been putting off this game for a game while. Out, although is, they probably like saw him in, Go on. in like promotional material for the game, but that'd be pretty, uh, be pretty intense <laughs> to be a character that's only existed for like one day. Love that game though. But 
they're they're yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyways, the thing about Luigi's Mansion Three is it doesn't really take place in a mansion. It takes place in a haunted hotel. Uh, yeah. You really, you should. I think you'd enjoy it. Since I feel like you were the only person I talked to about the first Luigi's Mansion when it came out. Uh, which was a long time ago, but we've been friends for a long time. Yeah. And uh, and it's pretty fun the way that like every every level on the uh the like every level of the hotel has like a different theme like there's a medieval themed level there's a one that's like a big movie studio i'm currently working on one that's like a ancient egypt themed and i'm just like sucking up so much sand into my uh <laughs> my ghost sucking machine and uh th that's definitely something i forgot uh in, in the long time it's been since I played the first Luigi's Mansion, it's just how satisfying. It's just, it is to suck up all these different objects that you're surrounded by. And got two weeks this hell. game just like allows you to do that in so many creative, <laughs> satisfying ways that is, well, you, I, I would say, a little similar to um, Mario's Odyssey, <laughs> where there's just. A lot of invention he, in terms of how you can use your environment. If you don't beat uh, it by November 1st, the, then the you're going to to deal with ghoul and it's, uh, it's a, coming to life. It's a great one to play before Halloween. I was actually waiting until it got closer to Halloween to buy it, and then it went on sale for a little bit. Haven't beat it, though. I was definitely thinking the latter. You... I know. I'm trying to savor it. You, you can't beat it until it's, like, right before midnight on Halloween. Yeah. And then and then it, it becomes Halloween, and you, then you scream. <laughs> you go, woohoo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, if Gulen... Does Colin become Gulen, or does he suddenly get like a weird, gooey version of himself that's always bugging him? Well, if okay, yeah. if it's similar to the game. So I feel like in the first Luigi's Mansion, he just had a flashlight, right? But then the second one, he got like the vacuum. Is that right, or does he always have the vacuum? He always had the vacuum. Sure he had the vacuum. Yeah. He always had it. Yeah, he had to catch them ghosts. And what, is what do you think he did in the first game? Just pointed the, light, the flashlight at things and then ran away? Well, we know that in the Mario universe, ghosts don't like being looked at. So I feel like a flashlight I mean, is super That's true. At a ghost. But they don't, they don't like that and they don't definitely don't like being sucked up. <laughs> Sucking it up. So if you have a flashlight and a vacuum, what does Gooigi do? Uh, he basically just gets you into places that uh, are a little hard to get into. Like if they're caged off like because he's made out of goo he can just like <laughs> just like squirt himself through the the cages uh, it just makes yeah. a weird gross mushing sound whenever he does it and he can yeah, also like does. go through tubes and like come out the other side it's it's weird he's a weird 
invention, but he's <laughs> he's my kind of weirdo. <laughs> um, my little pick. I feel like I've, I might have li- little picked to this before. I certainly <laughs> talk about it all the time. It's not going to be any yeah. surprise to anybody. I mainly want to talk about it because I want to ask you guys something. So I'm just going to go ahead and pick Blank Check, which is my favorite podcast. You guys have both heard it. I talk about it all the time. Um, it's about filmographies. David Sims, Griffin Newman go through director filmographies every episode. And um, But they released something on their Patreon recently that I'm like, oh, my God. This was just made for people like us. This is such good content. And it's behind a paywall, but I highly recommend anyone to check this out. They basically did... Um, I guess it's more of a video. It's it's them in like a Zoom chat, and they just watched production logos and talked about them. <laughs> like they went through, but they were their angle was like they went through the like the evolution of like the Warner Brothers logo, and then the evolution of like you know 20th Century Fox. And I haven't finished it because they spent like an hour just talking about all the Warner Brothers logos, <laughs> and they talk about like variants. And I just thought it was funny because we've done this where we like load up a YouTube playlist and then watch. <laughs> production company logos are like ah i remember this one so i wanted to ask you guys what some of your favorites were i'll start um current favorite is definitely a24 i mean it's pretty simple but it's kind of got a retro feel it's classic it's like a hipster bat signal love it and i'm also a big fan If, if i'm going for like variants uh, the opening to Edward Scissorhands has a snowy 20th century fox mm. that's super kick-ass. And then if I have to go for my favorite, like, nostalgic production company logo, I gotta go... You guys remember the 90s Disney one over the blue background? Yeah. Yeah. And remember how it's like... Doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. And there's, like, a synth that goes... Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the greatest noise I've ever heard. That and, sweet, like Rick Wakeman riff. And it's like <laughs> whatever it's, that is. It's like perfectly designed to be like slightly distorted by your cassette too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you guys if you have any. Are there any logos you just really like, or maybe variants that you like, or ones that make you feel nostalgic? Uh, well, when you mentioned variants, the one that instantly comes to mind is the Paramount logo fading into an actual mountain in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ooh. Hell yeah. But how about that fading into a, like a gopher hill in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? <laughs> <laughs> also good. Not as good. Um, some of the ones with the guys are pretty good. Like Spyglass has like the guy like yeah. looking. Um, and I want to say Ridley Scott's company. Is that the one with the guy like shooting an arrow? I thought Ridley Scott's had like a bird. Ridley Scott does have a bird. Who am I, you, you know what I'm thinking Free of? The Scott. one where the guy's like shooting an arrow and it's like going through axes and stuff. It sounds familiar, but I can't remember what it is. Some of these are like, I remember, of course, there's one I associate with you, Colin, because I remember there was a point in time where we were all trying to remember what it was. Yep. Uh, I was just going to bring this up as far as yeah, the nostalgia one. Uh, Caravan Pictures has a logo yeah. that I definitely remember being uh, at the front of a lot of live-action Disney movies from the 90s. Uh, but I think that company went out of business. Ugh. Probably like at the tail end of the 90s. I think their last production may have been Inspector Gadget, 
which is the one where the, <laughs> the caravan picture guy, the logo is just like a guy walking down a long road in like silhouette. But in Inspector Gadget, he like, like a, a jet propeller comes out of his hat and then he flies away like Inspector Gadget. And I like to imagine that that guy just died after that <laughs> because he ran out of gas in his <laughs> propeller hat and was never seen from again. Oh, I forgot. That's so good. I associate Caravan Pictures with Colin so much that last, I think it was last Christmas, I was watching While You Were Sleeping with Sandra Bullock, which is a live-action uh, Disney movie. And I immediately saw the logo. I paused it. I took a picture of my TV, and I sent it to Colin. Yeah. Just, like, thinking of you. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just it's just funny when you have those, like, those weird, like, strong reactions to those old logos. In the podcast, um, David Sims was talking about how he used to think Morgan Creek was like a really famous studio because he'd watch like Ace Ventura all the time and Morgan Creek was like at the beginning of Ace Ventura. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was pretty funny. Oh, but yeah. I remember that one. That's, that's the one the kind where it's of... like, a, like an S-shaped stream of water, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I, it's one of those subjects where I could go on and on about it, but I do kind of need a visual aid to keep talking about it. So that's why it works so well that they released this video. And I, I'm, I've watched like an hour of it, still haven't finished it, but it's so good. Uh, um, this content I crave, love geeky shit like that. You like geeky film nerd shit, uh, check out Blank Check. So two things. One, the logo, uh, the yeah, I guess we're calling it a logo, but it's, I'm thinking more of the video version. Uh, uh-huh. It's TSG Entertainment. It's a guy shooting, shooting an arrow through a bunch of axes. Yeah. <laughs> They did like uh, a bunch of Fox movies. Looks like a lot of the later day X Men movies are TSG uh, entertainment. Oh. Did you find that just by describing what happens? In yeah, it? I just googled production logo arrow guy. Um, but <laughs> oh since, yeah, yeah, I know this one. Since you said they focused on Warner Brothers, I am curious what their favorite Warner Brothers logo was and what your guys' favorite Warner Brothers logo is because I definitely have a favorite. So their favorite was that '70s one. Yeah, they're exactly with the right. Rip. The one, the one that's just like three lines. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which was I didn't know until I listened to the podcast. Uh, Saul Bass created that. It's so good. Which is cool. Um, actually, you know what Warner Brothers logo I really like is I feel like a lot of the Harry Potter movies get me stoked when it's like you hear the theme and then you see like Warner Brothers like <laughs> going through the clouds. That yeah. gets me pretty excited. You know the movie we're doing. Yeah. I was just going to say the movie we're doing today is Warner Brothers. So, you know, just, yeah, but just it did not movie. feature the logo in it. It should have. Yeah, I know. It could have been spelled out in, like, liquor. <laughs> that would been good. I, I thought it was so cool that uh, they did the, the thing of, like, putting a long scene before doing the opening credits. That's That felt like a very... Um, like two thousands thing to do, and they did it back yeah. in the sixties. Yeah. We'll get to that. Uh, what's your pick, Sean? Also, did you have another thing? I remember you're listing two things for John. <laughs> or did you get through both of them? No, we got, you got we, the Warner Brothers and TSG. Yeah. Okay. It was. It was. Uh, I wanted to know what was their favorite was and what your guys' favorite was. So. All right. I'll just go with the the Bugs Bunny one. I love that's, it. Oh yeah, because of Space Jam. Because of, of Space Jam, of course. <laughs> Even though I don't know if he comes out 
at the beginning of Space Jam. He probably does. He's gotta. You just gotta have like to start st- watching Space Jam to find. Yeah, him. it's fun to see that like in front of like a Batman short or something too. It's like, oh yeah. That There's guy also the weird, the weird beginning of Gremlins two where. Bugs Bunny comes out on the Warner Brothers logo, and there's like a little Looney Tunes bit for no reason, really. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> it always makes me wonder how much control creators have over the logos. Obviously, some. Yeah. Um, was Joe Dante just be like, "Hey, I got an idea. Let's do a little, uh, little cartoon." I got a lot of ideas for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe too many, but let's let's put them all in there. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. This sounds like a fun video to watch. Um, <laughs> it's five. It's, it's a five dollar paywall, but it's worth it. Yeah, they're worth it. Uh, I think uh, my little pick, because we, we've gone on kind of long, and I was going to pick a video game too, but Connery did one, so it's I fun. will shout out um, the last season of Corporate on. Uh, the Comedy Central app. Uh, I will admit I put off watching it uh, because the Comedy Central app does not let you uh, authenticate Xfinity on uh, on streaming devices like Apple TV or Roku. So I have to watch it on my computer to use my Comcast account. That's actually my dad's Comcast account because I don't pay for cable anymore. Um, so that's kind of a shame. But uh, the third and final season of Corporate came out this summer. Um, it's weird because I think it was intended to be the final season, but it doesn't really feel like a final season. It just kind of feels like another season of the show. Um, but also it's, uh, it's just a weird now time capsule of working in an office, which (laughs) already feels nostalgic. Um, I, I can't imagine going back to my office at this point. Um, so, so seeing episodes dedicated to the petty problems that, uh, that come up in that specific environment uh, are pretty nice, um, but also they, uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty uh, pessimistic show about um, our society. Uh, they, they they definitely take the stance that we're kind of already living in a dystopia, um, and uh, and that gets amped up to a pretty ridiculous degree in a few of the episodes this season too. Uh, particularly, there's one episode with uh, Heather Ann Campbell playing someone who is r- running a computer that's writing children's shows. That's it's uh, a really choice. Um, and uh, and then there's also an episode about one of the characters just really thinking hard about suicide, which is a uh, <laughs> pretty heavy subject for a comedy show. It sounds like that show. <laughs> I watched the first two seasons, but I don't. I don't know if I'll get around to watching the third. I li- I like this show, but it's just so hard to watch anything on Comedy Central. Apparently, yeah, it's only six episodes. So once okay. you get in, you can get through it pretty quick. Yeah. All right. I can I can probably find a way. And uh, and yeah, I would uh, I would recommend it to uh, anyone who's worked in a corporate environment before, or basically anyone in America who's you know we've all felt the unflinching grasp of corporate America around our throat for a long time, and it's it's fun to see something sort of take the piss out of it, while also very much admitting that there's nothing we can do to their juggernaut power. 
fun yes. stuff. Yeah, yeah, I I realized that that kind of time with but with Prime Day too wasn't that fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bow down. <sighs> Bow down. It's Amazon's new slogan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bow your head. You guys know what movie I'm referencing? Uh, Planet of the Apes. Hell yeah. Michael Never Clark Duncan that. ape. Yeah. It's bad. It's so. It's like the worst. I think it's the worst Tim Burton movie. <laughs> Okay. Like there's there's some that are like, like I feel like Alice in Wonderland is more damaging to his career. Like, he <laughs> loses success, but I just feel like it's it's destroyed the brand. But like Planet of the Apes is just like nothing. It's it's, you know, I'll pick it some days so we can just talk about it. Obviously, there's one. There's literally there's there's two good things in the whole movie: the makeup and Paul Giamatti. <laughs> Who was like, I'm down to come back for a sequel. Because he plays an orangutan and he's amazing. Because he is an orangutan, basically. Uh, I disagree. There's one other good part. What? Didn't we all watch this together? I'm not spoiling this. I've never seen it. I mean, I might have seen it with you, Sean. It's possible. What's the other good part? The other good part is Charlton Heston playing oh like, yeah <laughs> that's <ape>. so weird <laughs> uh, do you know about this colin the charlton heston and planet of the apes remake um i mean i know that he's in it but i don't know what he does in it refresh refresh me so he's like an elder ape so he's in yeah. makeup they got like 80 year old charlton heston in makeup <laughs> And okay. I don't know. He gives some long monologue, but doesn't he end it, Sean, with the like uh, a riff on one of his famous lines? I'm pretty sure. I can't he's remember like, which line. Get your hands off me, you damn dirty human! <laughs> In my mind, it's yeah, get your hands off me, you damn dirty. Oh, <laughs> and then he's dead. <laughs> that's why. I don't think that's right, though. I think you're right. It's either that, or he goes, "Damn them to hell" for some reason. Oh no, that, that must be it. Damn them! <laughs> Is there anything better in a movie when someone dies and then they like die as they're saying a word? That's um, pretty cool. That's how I want to go. I want to be saying something. And be like, what did he say? That's really weird. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to uh, talking about whatever happened to Baby Jane. Uh, 1962 film starring Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Uh, my question for you guys before watching this, had you seen any Betty Davis or Joan Crawford movies? Because it's a weird introduction. <laughs> Have I seen any movies with them? Of course. Um, okay. You want me to try to th- remember every single... I mean, probably not many, but I've seen All About Eve. Yeah, and I feel like I've seen one movie for each of them. I've seen Mildred Pierce and All About Eve. Yeah. And for Joan Crawford, maybe I've only seen... She did an episode of Night... I think it was... I can't remember. I think it was Night Gallery, but it was like a... It was like a feature-length episode. It was really long, directed by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and apparently she was difficult to work with. <laughs> and Steven Spielberg was like 22. So it's not a bad... Uh, like film, she's like blind, and she's gonna get like new eyes or something. It's some weird thriller. Oh, sweet! Yeah, yeah. But I, I, aside from those, it is hard to think of other ones. 
Yeah, because that's kind of something I think about in regards to them is that like even even for cinephiles like us, we, it's like they don't have that many iconic movies. Maybe that's just because like most most of the actors who uh, you know have like multiple classics in the Hollywood canon are are men and. It's like for me, it, it's not much more than what Sean listed. I, I've seen Little Foxes, which is a Betty Davis movie, and then I've just seen All About Eve and and Mildred Pierce. So I, I kind of feel like their legacies are almost just boiled down to those two movies, which are not not bad movies to rest your careers on. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's almost like almost like their feud is more iconic in a way than their actual movies since they made the tv show feud about kind of their relationship and and the making of this movie um i guess i can delve a little bit into that feud since that tv show doesn't really cover that much uh prior to uh to whatever happened to baby jane but if you want to learn more about the making of this movie i, w- I would recommend that fx miniseries uh which i'm a big fan of uh is that officially a miniseries wasn't that supposed to be another anthology show it like was story? yeah i can't even remember what the second season was gonna wasn't be wasn't it fossey verdon or whatever i don't know is that if a that feud? was part of feud oh well then, I don't. Know. I think that was just another FX, like based on real life <laughs> miniseries. Two people. Yeah. I'm looking it up. I'm trying to figure out what if they had like another one in mind. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did have another one in mind. They were going to do Charles and Diana. But they never did it. Oh, mm-hmm. I thought they were going to do Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman from <laughs> the uh, MythBusters. <laughs> what? I thought those guys were chill. What happened? I mean, that's exactly the thing is like, uh, they're, they're both like, we work well together, but we're not friends. So everyone's like, oh God, they hate each other. <laughs> that's like Penn and Teller, how they're just professional partners, not like they don't hang out. I want to see Penn and Teller view. <laughs> <laughs> who, who could play Penn and Teller? I have no fucking clue, dude. Uh, J- Jason Siegel as Penn. Oh, that's so good. Okay, Jason Siegel is Pistolet. I love and, it. And Paul Giamatti as Teller. <laughs> Dude, I love. You can put Paul Giamatti. You could have put him in both roles, and I would have been okay. I'm watching this. Could have been age be in everything. Yeah. <sighs> Who cares? This is makeup involved. They'll figure it out. <laughs> I mean, Jessica Lange was probably kind of old to play Joan Crawford. Maybe yeah. not that. I mean, she's... But, like, it works. Mm-hmm. Joan Crawford still has a question mark on her birth date on Wikipedia. No one's ever found out when she was born. We could no go and try to solve the mystery. <laughs> it's like, there's my there's my pitch for a National Treasure movie. She's the National Treasure. <laughs> Find Joan Crawford's birth certificate. <laughs> I'm sorry, Colin. You you you're getting into the, some background. Uh, yeah. So, you know, two two very f- famous actresses of uh, Hollywood's golden era. Uh, 
seems like their feud was mostly, uh, you know, it was it was through the tabloids, just them saying lots of you know catty comments towards each other. Uh, mm-hmm. One of uh, Betty Davis's kind of iconic <laughs> mean comments was saying that Joan Crawford had slept with every leading man at MGM except Lassie. Oh, got her. Is Lassie uh, a boy? It's. Uh, I'm googling it. Uh, I just assumed with the name Lassie, like I, Scottish I can slang confirm, for a girl. I can confirm that Benji was a boy, and then Benji was recast with a girl playing Benji. I know some Benji facts because I think Benji kind of looks like my dog. Lassie <laughs> is a female rough collie dog. Yeah. So kind of a in, self in the, in the source material. Self bone on uh, on Betty Davis's part, misgendering Lassie. Yeah, I guess supposedly the start of their feud happened when Betty Davis had like her first big uh, starring role in a movie uh, that came out in 1933. I can't remember what the name of the movie was, but like at that same time. Joan Crawford was getting a divorce to Douglas Fairbanks Jr., which was another another very big actor in, in Hollywood at that time. And I guess that was just like taking up a bunch of space in the newspaper. And so like the movie flopped, supposedly. That seems weird to me, but okay. Yeah. I read it online. Uh, but I think like the real inciting incident for their feud happened uh, in 1935 when Betty Davis was working on a movie with Francho Tone, uh, who was a leading man who I feel like has been lost to time. But anyways, on the, the set of their movie, like Betty Davis really kind of fell for him. And... Shortly after that, like, I guess nothing really happened between them, but Betty Davis was, was still into him. But then Francho Tone got uh, engaged to Joan Crawford. Uh, and even like in the 80s, <laughs> Betty Davis said, I have never forgiven her for that and never will. And Joe Crawford, Joe Crawford was dead by this point, also. (laughs) So, oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you don't forgive someone by the time they die, then you're never forgiving them. True, but it just it just seals the deal even more. (laughs) Um, And so, like throughout the the 30s and 40s, they were vying for a lot of the same roles in movies. Um, I guess the most famous one would be that. Betty Davis was actually the first choice to play Mildred Pierce in that movie, but she passed it up, and then Joan Crawford scooped it up, got an Oscar for it, uh, and then... Did Betty Davis get an Oscar? She has multiple Oscars, I believe. I don't think she, she actually... have, like, ten nominations? She probably has a ton. I mean, that's... <laughs> I feel like one of the sort of big differences between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford is I feel like Betty Davis was sort of more thought of as a a character actor or a, or a serious actress since she was, you know, more more classically trained, uh, kind of came up on, on Broadway. And uh, Joan Crawford was more of a, a movie star, I suppose. Um, 
So, like, exactly the two types of characters they're playing in this movie. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and then, I think in the 40s, Crawford actually uh, went over to MGM. Um, she had been under contract at Warner Brothers for, for many years, and, and Betty Davis was also uh, at MGM. And Crawford was, she would often send gifts to Betty Davis trying to, like, you know, make things right and just make it so that they weren't at odds with each other. But Betty Davis returned all of her gifts uh, and (laughs) continued the feud in the process. Uh, I think in the early 50s, Davis starred in a movie called The Star, which is about an aging actress kind of clinging to her fame, which is kind of not so subtly based on Joan Crawford. Why are there so many of these movies? There's like one movie where there's a guy in that situation, and that's like A Star is Born, which gets remade every every generation. Yeah. But other than that, that's like the... There's one there's one thing with aging actors, and there's so many things with aging actresses, and they're all miserable, horrible people. Oh, that's because uh, aging actors just get to keep starring in movies and don't have to like debase themselves and, and don't have to get desperate. Yeah. Because that's the reality of Hollywood. Uh, that's basically what Feud is about. Wait, wait, Did Joan Crawford stay married to a francophone? Whatever you said his name was. Franco Tone. Uh, no, she did not. I believe she was married a few times. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other notable people she got married was to, like, the president of Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Alf- Mr. Alf- Pepsi. Alfred Steele, who became the CEO of Pepsi. And... There was actually an incident on the uh, the set of whatever happened to Baby Jane, where I believe Betty Davis had like a, a Coke machine <laughs> installed in her dressing room just to <laughs> piss off Joan Crawford, <laughs> and then Joan Crawford, of course, like demanded that they get a, a Pepsi machine on set as well. All, all just, you know, pretty petty stuff, but also kind of amusing as well. That's great. I also can't imagine anyone in the 60s drinking Pepsi. I feel like Pepsi it's, didn't we, Right? Really it seems like Pepsi came out of the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like Michael Jackson invented Pepsi <laughs> in 1986. <laughs> it's weird to think of it, yeah. It's so weird. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, then in the early 60s, um, the director... Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What? Pepsi in... Pepsi was invaded... (laughs) Pepsi was invented in 1893, and it was known as Brad's Drink. (laughs) (laughs) That's the dumbest name ever. Brad's Drink? Brad's Drink. Not even... Not even Brad's. Brad's drink. It was invented mm. by Caleb Bradham, who called it Brad's oh drink God. and sold it at his drugstore. I mean, I guess Reese's are called Reese's peanut butter cups. 
But Brad's drink is just so damn funny. Can you imagine being like, yeah, I'm part of the Brad's drink generation. <laughs> I'm going to start. Okay, you've changed my life, Sean. I'm going to always call Pepsi Brad's drink from here on out. Just, just sipping a Brad's drink, watching the game. <laughs> Do you have diet Brad's drink? What? what, what? <laughs> oh, I go way back. I'm old school. I'm all about crystal bread strength. <laughs> I'm all about Brad's drink one. <laughs> Caffeine free Brad's drink. <laughs> uh, it's just good. It's just good. That's all. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for interrupting uh, me for that. It's pretty groundbreaking <laughs> it's too important i'm sorry but it's too important yeah i mean if you guys have something that consequential to say you, you gotta say it i'm uh, never gonna have anything that consequential to say in my life sean <laughs> just that's the you can't top that <laughs> we'll, we'll try yeah we'll try um so anyways the book, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, was written in 1959. It was... Uh, the the rights were, were scooped up by Robert Aldrich, um, who ended up directing this movie and, and producing it. Uh, and he, he was having kind of a hard time getting the film made, I think... A bit because of the subject matter and also because, like, he really wanted Betty Davis and Joan Crawford to be in it, even though they weren't exactly hot commodities at the time, though the the film certainly kind of revitalized their careers. Uh, But even though they were skeptical to work with each other, uh, Aldrich convinced them, I guess, because he was just friends with them maybe I, I think betty davis also agreed to do the film only if robert aldrich promised he wasn't sleeping with joan crawford because <laughs> she's just she's just mean she can't stop it <laughs> but also she said like she didn't she didn't want joan crawford to get special preference on the on the the set of the movie yeah I, it's just a funny thing that you have to like get that guaranteed that's not just an unspoken yeah and it's like i don't even know if she actually thought that was gonna happen maybe it was just (laughs) just to to put out another dig in the world i don't know doing some slut shaming yeah but yeah robert aldrich is a director i've seen a few of his movies i feel like i kind of associate him with with sort of manly movies <laughs> like he did a, a really good uh film noir called kiss me deadly um he also did the dirty dozen and he did the uh-huh. original longest yard uh in the 70s uh-huh. i guess that would have been one of his his last movies um but uh, this is a movie <laughs> starring two women but is also i don't know it's it certainly directed the way a man would direct a movie it's it's kind of aggressive but uh i guess we could just go through the plot 
Um, as Sean mentioned, it actually has a cold open, which is interesting for that time. It feels a little rare since most movies prior to like the 70s or 80s usually would just start with your beginning credits but yeah uh, and and on criterion channel they didn't even put the criterion logo in front of it so you hit play and you're just in it it's wild wow do they ever show the criterion logo no i don't think they do not in this one maybe it's because it's not actually in the Criterion Collection. Oh, it's one of those. I'm almost fooled by this. It's my greatest weakness. <laughs> I swear I saw it, Sean, like a movie you picked for a Criterion Month is officially like in the Criterion Collection coming up soon. Uh, so That's you're just ahead of the you're ahead of the game. <laughs> and that happened last year too. I'm just banking on all those movies just working their way into the collection over the next year. I wanna say it was that one with the super complicated title. I don't remember which one movie it was. Oh, Super yeah. Psycho, oh, Taxi Psycho Taxi Driver. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I thought that was Rolls off the in tongue the and into your heart. <laughs> yeah, that one's... John, that's the one I would most recommend to you of all the ones I watched. From okay. Okay. I, I think you would have a good time watching that. <laughs> I'm not... Well, let's not talk a, about this. The, that's sincere. That's not sarcastic. Yeah, no. I'm, I've, I've, I'm interested in it. Um, I'm just in Halloween mode right now. Uh, just like this movie, which is creepy. This opening isn't creepy as much as it's just like, well, you know it's going to go bad. Yeah. <laughs> but it starts on a nice note. I don't know that it's super ominous, aside from the fact that you have Baby Jane, Baby Jane Hudson performing in front of all these people in 1917 on the stage. The people are just raptured. But then you got like her... Um, uh, her sister off watching kind of behind the stage definitely seems jealous definitely seems like she's at this point kind of like I don't know what to say the second pony of the family yeah. as baby Jane sings this uh, song or songs and dan- dances with her dad and this is for me what stands out it's like why are all these people showing up to see this little girl sing it's not that great <laughs> Sean, are they Sean, that bored? Sean it's, it's 1917 <laughs> there's fucking nothing to do <laughs> Uh, this is good shit. This is like, this is like America's Got Talent coming to your town. Good shit. You can get a fucking like four foot doll after the show. <laughs> oh, and guys, I'm I'm sure you want to know this. I crunched the numbers, so I, I noticed that the dolls cost three twenty five. Okay, so I'm here on inflationcalculator.com. Uh, uh-huh. So if in 1917. I purchased an item for three twenty-five. Then in twenty twenty, it would cost sixty-six dollars and nine cents. Does, does that sound right? You think like that's were, that's pretty cheap. Were people right? paying the equivalent of like sixty bucks for one of those dolls? <laughs> I think. That's I mean, I guess a it's like it's a pretty. I guess big like you doll, go to a though. concert. It is huge. Like, <laughs> you go to a concert one. these days, and concert shirts are fucking expensive. So I get it. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta buy that shit. On the on the black market, I guess can't can't do it that at, doll is at the venue. Scary too. It's huge. Yeah, I would say that it's is the one like size. that is the one ominous part of the cold open for me. Is there's like a shot where they show her like side by side with the doll, and that's creepy. <laughs> I I also think it's creepy. She's performing a song with her dad about having a a, a dead father who's in heaven. Mm. 
I think yeah. that's a, a slightly creepy choice. <laughs> yeah. Was that so- I had that song stuck in my head. Oh, I've written a letter to Daddy. Yep. Is that what you sang at the beginning too? Oh, yep, that was the one. Sweet, weird Al parody version. Yeah. Yeah, you nailed it. It's a creepy ass song. Yeah. <laughs> but the people loved it. Once. Mm-hmm. Once. Sorry. Even in those early scenes, like her sister Blanche is kind of watching off stage, and her mom is like, "You'll get your chance someday." Yeah. Which I guess is because they're—that's just the mindset of showbiz parents. It's like we'll we'll figure out a way to get you in the biz. Totally. Sooner or yeah. later. They don't really delve into it too much, but it, like it's it's clear that these parents were really bad. Yeah. And then I think it cuts to, I think, 1935. uh, And there's these two guys who I assume work at a movie studio who are probably, like, top producers or the heads of the studio or something. They're just watching, I guess, dailies of uh, a uh, Jane Jane Hudson movie uh, since she's an adult at that point but it's it's just footage from a, a betty davis movie from that period and they're just like ah oh, this is this is no good <laughs> she sucks wait that's a real movie yeah they just used clips from a real uh betty davis and, and joan crawford movies in in like the intro to this that's amazing because they're like she is so bad in this her accent is terrible and that's a real movie that she made yeah Wow. I feel like my, one of my takeaways from watching this movie and then kind of reading a little bit about Betty Davis afterwards is it kind of seemed like she was just game for anything as long as it like made the, her performance better and made the movie better. Like yeah. the fact that she she has this hideous makeup in this movie that she did herself or that you know, I was reading about other movies where like she like shaved part of her head for it. So I'm sure <laughs> she's like, yeah, you can shit on me all you want. I'll get an Oscar nomination out of it. Like it'll make me look good on camera. So, uh, I hella respect that she's willing to be like, okay, yeah, you can show clips of this movie and say it sucks. <laughs> Mass respect. Yeah. I feel like Joan Crawford, it was a little harder to get that out of her since she, uh, she had a little <laughs> more, more vanity, I guess, about, about her looks since that was kind of the thing she prided herself on. Um, right. but that's, uh, it's kind of hard to look good when you're, uh, bedridden. <laughs> like dying of hunger basically but uh i I think she's good in it also even though i i I would say betty davis gives a a much flashier performance and maybe more authentic too um and then we get this really cool sort of psycho-esque sequence where we see uh I, I just like the feet of of one of them behind a wheel as the other ones like opening the gate to their home and we see this accident where the person driving just steams forward and we assume it's it's we assume it's Jane running over Blanche because uh you know at that point Jane is is kind of washed up and Blanche is this big movie star uh, yeah, and then we get the uh, the opening credits over just like these 
close-ups of the sort of wreckage from this accident, which is a pretty cool way to start a movie. And also, it's like 15 minutes in the movie. That's... Yeah, it's a long cult open. Like they they establish their entire backstory basically in that in that sequence. I think I assumed at that point in the flashback that they just weren't gonna do opening credits, but then they yeah they sneak in. Yeah. So then we cut to present day. The title card actually says yesterday, which I like. Uh, and then we see this mother and daughter watching an old movie starring Joan Crawford or, you know, in the film, Blanche Hudson. Uh, and the daughter's just like, oh, I used, I used to watch her movies. Or, or no, I, I guess it's probably the, the mom talking about how she hadn't seen the movie in years. And then she says, you know... Blanche Hudson lives right next door. And the daughter's like, she must be 150 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And then the mom's like, you know, she's my age. Awkward. Uh, No, I believe she said she's a few years older, so this mom is about 148. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Make sure we get our facts straight. All right. Sorry about that. Uh... So we cut to Blanche, who's in a wheelchair because of the accident uh, that happened uh, quite a, quite a few years before, and she's being taken care of by her sister Jane, who is an alcoholic, who is a little eccentric. Uh, yeah, gotta say she's not doing a great job. <laughs> Yeah. Just that's just my hot take. Got to throw it out there a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, particularly when she was caring for her bird, that didn't end so well. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how to delve into the like little. There's a lot of like little scenes in this movie of just Jane just terrifying. Blanche, in a, in, much in the way that uh, Betty Davis <laughs> would try to just be mean to Joan Crawford in, in real life, just for no reason. But this is obviously a bit more extreme. Well, let's yeah. see. What do we got? We got kills her bird, um, disconnects her phone, doesn't give her food. <laughs> what else we got? It's a rat. I, don't remember that. I mean, I, th- I think overall, <laughs> the weirdest thing is that she keeps her wheelchair-bound sister upstairs. Yeah. That's, and, yeah, that's pretty fucked. And, and then there's, like, one point where, you know, J- Jane is starting to go <laughs> in a loopy direction, and, and Blanche kind of, like, she, she gets to the top of the stairs and looks down and just tries to, like, mentally get up the willpower to to go down them and she just can't but she does eventually do it later in the movie i i do not like her approach to getting down the stairs by the way it seems a, a very time consuming and effort draining uh approach to getting down the stairs where she like hangs herself on the handrail and goes down one step at a time 
If it was me, I would just throw myself on the ground and crawl down the stairs. She's got some money. She should have got one of those electric chairs like in Gremlins. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if those were remember, remember in Gremlins when they make it malfunction? Yeah. yeah. She died. She then she died. She did die. You know what's weird uh, about the YouTube algorithm is just coincidentally, like I didn't watch this movie on YouTube. I watched it on the Criterion channel, so I don't know how the algorithm knew. But like when I logged into YouTube today, it was like, hey, do you want to watch this video of this guy installing an elevator in his house so his wheelchair-bound wife can go up and down without him having to carry her? That's and I did watch that video, creepy. and it was pretty Dude, cool. Dude, you've just given me an idea for a Black Mirror episode <laughs> where someone keeps getting recommended videos... And then the videos, like, happen to them. Like, let's say someone gets, like, a video about it, something with wheelchairs, and then they get, like, paralyzed. Okay, this is, I'm submitting this to Charlie Brooker for Black Mirror. Yeah, he needs ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Charlie Brooker said recently, like, I can't do Black Mirror with where the world is at right now. We don't <laughs> need it right now. <laughs> but I'm going to pitch him to that if we ever go back to normal. That. Yeah. yeah. If we ever go back to normal, is a scary sentence. <laughs> um, I don't know if I mentioned that a big motivating factor for Jane is the fact that Blanche is planning on on moving out of their uh, their sort of it's not quite a mansion but it's a pretty big house but she's planning on selling it uh, I, I guess just because she doesn't have the money anymore she's not a big star and she probably also wants to get rid of Jane. Yeah, I th- I think it's interesting. There's like a disagreement between them of where, like even how they have the mansion. Because I know early on uh, in the in the th- in the scene in the 30s, they talk about oh Blanche just bought some some mansion. Um, so I assume that's the case that it that it is her mansion that she bought. Mm-hmm. But there's an argument where where uh, where Jane argues that no, it was uh, the baby Jane money and. And their father was the one who bought the house. So yeah, they they both are just like either disconnected from reality or uh, just can't can't concede anything to each other. <laughs> and so at a certain point, after Jane has decided that she's just gonna gonna lock uh, Blanche up and keep her from the outside world. She's also like, I'm going to revitalize my career by uh, putting a, a want ad in the paper. I really like that scene where she does <laughs> like give the, the want ad to the guys who work at the newspaper, which is just weird that there's there used to be like clerks at, at newspapers who just took want ads. I, I'd never thought about that before. And she's like, Oh, you must recognize me. You know I'm baby Jane Hudson. And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. And then she leaves, and the other guy working there is just like, who the hell is baby Jane Hudson? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so after she puts that one ad, this musician uh, that... that, Jane wants to work with, or, or I guess she just wants to work with any musician, but there's this pianist named Edwin who lives with his mom. He gets in contact with her. He's British. So is his mom. 
Are they? I guess. I or are they like, just doing voices? I don't know. Because I, I know Victor Victor Buono is an American. I liked his British accent though. I thought it like you could have convinced me he was American. I guess Sean, not convinced. I was not. You saw through the mirage. I liked it. I mean, this is an Oscar nominated performance. This is uh, Victor Bono is just he's like I, one of my favorite details in his Wikipedia is it talks about how he often played characters that were much older than he actually was. Like he's like twenty four <laughs> years old in this movie, but it's just like this big performance, and it's just so strong. And he's just such a great character. Um, definitely his best character after King Tut on Batman. <laughs> Yeah. Well, guys, let me talk about. I gotta talk about King Tut for a minute. Um, I don't really remember this character. So. He's literally King Tut. Uh, uh, that's what I assume know, in modern day. Yeah, <laughs> but I thought I figured because there's a great. I think the King Tut. Uh, one of the King Tut episodes is where Adam West first does that sweet Batman dance, where he does like you know, like the the Pulp Fiction thing, the Batusi. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's in a King Tut episode initially, um, mm-hmm. but I figured, oh yeah, King Tut. He was probably in like one episode. He was in ten episodes. <laughs> <laughs> he was like a regular. He was like one of the one of his regular villains, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but that was always such a hammy performance. It's hilarious. I loved it. And I want to ask you something, Sean. You've probably seen the most Batman episodes. Did all of the villains do puns, or was it just Egghead? I can't remember. <laughs> um, I mean, they were all trying to be funny. I know Catwoman did a lot of like cat references. Okay. Um, so I, th- I, I assume when they, yeah, when they had a, a gimmick like that, which is basically all of them, then yeah, they were doing puns. Like, I don't think of, like, the Penguin doing a lot of puns. He's just more like... Wah, 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 wah. Okay. But, yeah. Hilarious. Love Victor Bono's King Tut. Also, uh, very funny in an episode of Night Gallery again. That's just that's just where people go in the 70s. <laughs> um, where he played a vampire going to a blood bank. And they're like, we're so glad that you're going to give us blood. And he's like, give you blood? I came here to make a withdrawal. <laughs> it's like two minutes long, but it's pretty good. What a talent. I need more of this guy. Yeah, it's always good to see a big man out and about. Yeah, especially movies. like in an older movie, you know? Yeah, that's one Don't thing I, I definitely noticed. Was like, it's really strange to watch a, a kind of... <laughs> older black and white movie from like the sort of the the classic hollywood era that doesn't really have a lot of handsome guys in it it's just these two older women and just this 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 schlubby character actor oh yeah that's why marty is the weirdest movie ever made Mm, yeah (laughs) but this is up there man yeah it's just you had to put handsome men in movies Give it up for the big man, though. Yeah, hell yeah. I don't really remember at what point he starts to become sort of suspicious that something weird is going on in this house. He never does. It doesn't. I was honestly, I I loved all those scenes. I was always kind of confused by their relationship because I couldn't tell early on if he was like 
I'm just in this to try to take her for all she's worth and take advantage of her because I can tell she doesn't. She's not actually talented. Mm-hmm. Was that or was that his angle? That he was just in it to try to make some money, and then he was just being yeah. It's, it seemed to be like nice to her for a very little bit. They're like, "Hey, we're just gonna make Sunset Boulevard." That's the B plot of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's good though. It is good. I just wasn't a hundred percent what he was. What he was thinking, but yeah, maybe it, that I, makes it better. I feel like there's like uh, there's like four scenes of him, right? There's the where he finds the want ad. There's his like when he goes and gets the job. Then there's the time he comes by and uh, Jane's busy beating the shit out of Blanche, <laughs> and so he can't get in. So he goes and gets drunk. And there's the the fourth scene where he's like he is drunk, um, and she lets him in, and, and that's when he finds out what's what's been going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's this. It's not like uh, there's not a ton of time spent on like his mindset and what he thinks of this situation. It's more just like he's a another catalyst like the neighbor in uh in jane's increasing desperation and detachment from reality but he still he still makes the most of every scene like you named basically every scene he's in and he still got an oscar nom for this movie and they are hella good scenes yeah Uh, i think i was into it it's a real interesting choice his last scene where um like this guy's huge he could he could have picked up blanche and carried her out of the house but instead he just runs away drunk and afraid uh it's a very pathetic end for this character i guess even though he does do the right thing go to the police also and i'm sure you guys were dying to know i'm on inflationcalculator.com and i believe the deal they eventually arrange is that uh baby jane will offer him a hundred dollars a week and Mm. i've got uh so a hundred dollars in 1962 uh, in yeah. 2020 is a cool 861 buckaroonies. So, you know, it's not bad. It's pretty good. It's, uh, it's a livable wage. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's like, doing uh, it. What? That's like three and a half grand a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. Not a bad racket. It's, uh, yeah, it's totally uh, slightly above minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> but it's tax free baby I, don't, I didn't just do this for this movie you guys I do this anytime I watch an old movie where they they um they like bring up money like I've definitely so many Twilight Zones where they're like alright that's uh eggs bacon toast coffee a sausage sandwich that's 49 cents and I'm like okay gotta look up what the fuck that is today you know I'm gonna try to make that a new recurring segment. Uh, inflation calculator. <laughs> it needs. Th- I need a theme song. I'll. Uh, I'll work on that. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't help the momentum of the podcast. <laughs> but I find it interesting. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, let's let's get into the one actual kill in this movie, which hell yeah. Is of a character that certainly didn't deserve it. It was uh, it's, it's it's the maid named Elvira. Uh, she seems to be a little suspicious of what's going on with uh, with Jane, kind of throughout the movie. Um, but later on in the film, uh, Elvira comes to work at their house, and Jane basically just fires her 
without any real reason. And then Jane leaves and Elvira sneaks into the house and she sees that, that Blanche is all tied up. And then at that point, uh, Jane comes back. I can't really remember what she does in the meantime, but then she uh, she kills her with a hammer. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I to to me the brutality of this movie was surprising. I mean, I know it's the '60s, but because it's black and white, it doesn't quite feel like it, especially with these actors. Yeah. Um, and so the there's the one scene when uh, when Blanche is trying to call for help and. Jane just kicks the crap out of her, which is yeah. like was really shocking to me. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, in this one, you know, they don't spend a lot of time on it, but she does beat this woman to death with a hammer, mm-hmm. which is a pretty wild thing for any movie. That's a that's some old boy shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely feels like it came out during sort of a, a transitionary period where it's like it has kind of kind of the the style of an old classic Hollywood movie but there are little things thrown in there like yeah the the violence that's a, a, a little bit more <laughs> I don't know shocking than you're used to seeing in any of these movies um, ooh, ooh this yeah. gave me a fun idea so uh I brought it up on our last episode. One of the most important things in my life as a horror movie fan it was in 2005 when Bravo Channel did their 100 Scariest Movie Moments. Yeah. And I could totally... This movie wasn't on that list, but it should have been because there is some weirder choices on that list. Like, I think Wait Until Dark, the Audrey Hepburn movie is on there. And this is way scarier than that. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, so now I'm, I'm wondering, if you had to pick one scene in this movie that is like the most disturbing or scariest scene... What would you pick? I feel like there's lots of good ones. Um, I think the dead bird is a good one. Yeah. Um, the hammer's pretty... Maybe it's probably the hammer, I right? I think the hammer's probably the one that sticks with you the most. It's the most horror movie kind of feeling scene. Even though, and we'll get to it, now that I think about it, the most disturbing moment easily is the end of this movie <laughs> for me. But yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah, uh, I think I think also, though, the part where... Uh, Jane's out running errands and they're cross cutting that with Blanche working her way down the stairs and then trying to call. Oh her yeah, it's pretty yeah, tense yeah, too. Yeah. That has God. This has such. This must have been an inspiration uh, for Stephen King when he did Misery, which is absolutely one hundred percent a future pick. Because <laughs> uh, it's Just definitely wait, reminding me for of that Misery. snow day. Uh, hey, who knows, Sean? Maybe I'll pick it as soon as like November, or December. That's that's cold enough for me to pick Misery. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. If you don't do it, I will. Cause I gotta see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get Stephen King into the Three Timers Club. <laughs> um, but yeah, that hammer thing is super fucked up horror movie. I was like, yeah, pretty surprised by that actually. It is also hard for me to think of. I mean, I'm not really an aficionado on the history of horror movies, but it's hard for me to think yeah. of movies kind of in this genre where it's like an isolation, trapped in your home movie and it doesn't really have like there's nothing supernatural or, or fantastical about it i'm sure there maybe have been others before it but it it feels like something a little new for that time to me and and definitely something that has has cropped up in other 
horror movies for sure because yeah. horror movies are easy to make on a low string budget so just setting it all in one location is usually advantageous which which this yeah. film wasn't made for that much for a for a hollywood film as well you're right i didn't think of it that way but this definitely does seem like a like a forerunner for movies like um like rosemary's baby and uh the babadook like these other like crazy ladies <laughs> stuck in a house movies yeah but she's not crazy. Uh, she's being gaslit so colin you said this was a low budget movie what about the salaries for uh, joan crawford and betty davis were those a lot lower than their normal <laughs> normal salaries i think I, I read that that they did actually take a, a lower salary to do these because I, th- I think they actually did really okay. like the script for this movie they weren't just doing it kind of to to raise their profile in in sort of a fallow period in their careers okay okay that makes sense i was gonna i was about to say like if they're not getting paid a lot and they hate each other why would they want to do this movie yeah (laughs) but i guess that's it is they they must have liked the book and the script and saw it as a real opportunity Mm -hmm. were you hoping for me to have exact numbers so you could do the calculations (laughs) because i don't have them they got paid do you think Betty Davis got paid more though? Uh, Seems like she was the bigger star. Ooh, I don't know. She also seems more likely to to do it for a lower <laughs> price though, because she's she's more of a serious actor, supposedly. So I don't know. So I mean, so there's the this is the question, right? This is the big question: Is which actor is given the better performance in this movie? I, I think probably Betty Davis, just because there's more range, and it feels a little more modern to me. Like Joan Crawford's performance does feel a little, a little bit tied to sort of the the, the melodramas she was known for, even though I still think she's pretty solid in it yeah i think she does a good job uh like she she maintains that air of like superiority and also there's like a ton of uh passive aggressiveness to Mm -hmm. her behavior which could have been you know with another actor it could have just come off as like making her sympathetic but instead you you never i mean you, you definitely feel bad that everything's happening to to blanche but even early on, before you know fully why, you get the impression that, like, she sort of deserves what she's getting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like she's, not, she's not as good as she acts like she is. That's such a good twist. I think we could talk about the twist. All right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to remember at what point do we learn the twist. Cause... It's not until they go to the, the, the beach. All right. So Victor Buono, like, he finds out that she's got the sister, uh, you know, tied up. And he fucking freaks out and just runs away. (laughs) And then she, Baby Jane, decides to take her to the beach, right? That's it. Yeah, I I don't, she's fucking crazy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I, I think, yeah, she's in panic mode. She knows, oh my gosh, somebody knows I'm doing bad shit. I gotta go somewhere that's fun to get away from this. It's it's so, so funny. They go to the beach. 
the whole movie she keeps talking about like we're gonna get out we're gonna go to the beach and i just assumed that she meant like our beach house that we have but she just like literally met like the public. Maybe <laughs> there's just a bunch of people hanging out. Or she's gonna bring her dying, starving sister mm-hmm. out, just lying, just laying her out on the sand. Because they go like, what? What? It's still like almost dark out, right? And then they're just there until the early morning when people show up, mm-hmm. or maybe they show up at dawn. But still, like, she just dumps her there, and yeah. then is like. Making sandcastles and shit. Yeah, and she just parks her car in the middle of the road, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and she's like, then, you know, once people show up, it's like, it's weird how, like, she doesn't even seem like, she she must know, like, you know, if anybody sees what's going on, you're going to be in big trouble. Yet she's, like, playing with kids on the beach. And then she goes up to the, the ice cream stand. I guess that's after the reveal, and... They kind of, I don't know, almost break some kind of ground with each other a little bit. I did I did I invent this memory where she has like a bucket and she just like she's like starting to build a sandcastle? No, I said she makes sandcastles. Yeah, she's out of her goddamn mind. <laughs> <laughs> she has committed a murder. Yep. And uh, Blanche, yeah, she realizes that she might not have a lot of time left, and that's when she reveals the secret. Uh, that that's so brilliant because because we I don't know if we talk about it but you see at the beginning of the film you don't see it with faces you just see it with like hands and close-ups of the car someone getting out of a car and then the car like uh, hitting well someone getting out of a car trying to unlock a gate and then someone else in the car running the person over and it's and done you in just like, naturally assume it's done in like quick flashes so you don't really see the yeah. person's face who's getting hit by the car. And, you know, you just naturally assume that Baby Jane is behind the wheel and that Blanche is unlocking the gate when we find out that it was uh, the opposite and that Blanche was um, super pissed and Baby Jane was super drunk, so she couldn't remember any of that shit. And Blanche tried to run her over. And I guess what she must have, like, did they say that, like, Baby Jane, like, got, got out of the way or jumped out of the way or something or... Yeah, she she got out of the way. She she somehow got out of the way. um, And then Blanche paralyzed herself, but still had enough strength to kind of make it look like she got hit by... That part's a little much, but (laughs) describing like how she climbed out to make it look like she'd been hit by the car. Hmm. And that is so fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. And it's weird how, like, yeah, it's Baby Jane's reaction to that is like it's her reaction like they've kind of made up or like a little bit because then she's like gets the ice cream and seems yeah. like she's in a good mood it's interesting because she doesn't she what she says is we could have been friends this entire time which yeah. isn't necessarily like forgiveness <laughs> i think it's just maybe further insanity what makes it so creepy is the fact that baby jane doesn't have the reaction you would expect someone to have to that reveal yeah but but i guess it's like she's so far gone at that point like <laughs> yeah normal human emotions are not gonna come out of her i suppose mm-hmm. uh but then there are some cops there at the beach just hanging out and they're they're on the lookout for her since uh word has got around that she killed the 
the maid, and then they see her bringing that ice cream back to uh, to Blanche on the beach. And then this big crowd forms around her, just kind of looking at her, being like, "What's what's up? What's going on here?" And then she starts singing that song, the the daddy song from earlier, and she's you know, performing for them. This is what she's wanted her whole life is to have an audience to perform for. But obviously she's getting arrested. We see the end show up on the on the screen as the cops are like just going to investigate what's up with Blanche. So we never really know if she died or not. How do you guys feel about that? What a movie kind of doesn't sew up everything at the end i mean it's weird for an old movie you definitely don't expect it yeah and because it's old i i, I wonder if this is they go into this in the book at all i feel i just feel like blanche had to have lived because i feel like had she not that's way too dark for a movie they'd make back then but i'm not really sure yeah and maybe that's how they would get away with doing that ending is by by not confirming whether or not she was dead, even if she was supposed to be. I mean, she was alive not that long before that happened. Be yeah, pretty bad luck for her to die in those like five minutes that Jane was going to get ice cream. What if it was like, um, what kind of ice cream do you want? I want straw. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so they should have been doing it. I want a compilation of every time someone has died mid-sentence in a movie. Yeah, I'm looking through the plot synopsis of the book. Oh, the novel ends with Jane dancing and does not reveal if Blanche survives or not. So wow. accurate to the book. Hmm. Shit, there's a 1991 made for tv version (laughs) it's called whatever happened to dot 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 weird that's not very good (laughs) it stars vanessa redgrave and lynn redgrave oh yeah Ah. freaky ass movie yeah (laughs) it's weird that this kind of like created a subgenre supposedly (laughs) called the psycho bitty genre psycho bitty I've heard of that what? before. I'm yeah. not sure what other movies are. What's well, Bitty? didn't didn't Robert Aldrich and um, Betty Davis do uh, another kind of movie, kind of thriller sort of together? They later? did actually right after this one called Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which was supposed to be kind of a sequel to this movie because Joan Crawford was also supposed to star in it, but. I think she dropped out citing an illness, even though people speculate that she just didn't want to work with Betty Davis and felt like she'd kind of gotten upstaged uh, by her making whatever happened to Baby Jane. Uh, I believe that's covered in in Feud a bit, as as is the making of the movie Trog, <laughs> fortunately. Hell, oh, fuck yeah. That was that was kind of a, a wonderful moment when I was watching Feud and I realized I would get to see them <laughs> chronicle the making of Trog, which is one of the worst movies I've reviewed for Shocktober. 
<laughs> movie that I think it was the last movie Joan Crawford did actually. Though obviously she did some TV stuff after that, uh, as John mentioned. Guys, I'm on the Psycho Bitty Wikipedia page, and I'm having a blast. Some of the other names for Psycho Bitty films are <laughs> Hagsploitation <laughs> and Hag Horror. Yeah. And here's some of the most famous titles. Um, obviously, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane started it off. Then Straight Jacket, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which was the other Robert Aldrich movie. Die, Die, My Darling, Whatever Happened to Aunt Alice, What's the Matter with Helen, and Whoever Slew Auntie Rue. <laughs> I love these titles. Yeah, It's always like, what What happened? To, what's the matter? Who? And apparently there's a couple movies that are considered post-Psycho Biddy, and they list Misery. Hmm. Makes sense. And of course, Mommy Dearest. But I feel like that's more of on here because it's because it's a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I thought some of the parts from Mommy Dearest, which I've not seen, were going to be in this movie. Why? I don't yeah, know. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I guess just because it's a, it's a similar like like a woman abusing another woman set up even though it's a mother daughter situation and not sisters like like the wire hanger thing was from this movie as yeah i just was like, wasn't sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's one of those things where mommy dearest just seems like it's not a real story it's, and it kind of blurs together with just the whole john crawford legacy so yeah, and I believe Betty Davis also had a bad relationship with her daughter. But isn't her daughter also in this movie? Isn't I think I found that fun fact somewhere. Mm-hmm. Did not know that. As the as the younger girl who is the neighbor, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, I think so. But they didn't get along well after. Yeah, I don't know if it was her, but I know one of her daughters also wrote like a tell-all book about how she was an alcoholic and bad mother but didn't didn't get made into a campy movie like mommy dearest god this would be such a good halloween costume baby jay yeah it's pretty good i should go as baby jane that'd be pretty scary yeah i think so just need a and we're gonna yeah just need a crappy dress and a wig and to put a little little heart on your cheek you got it and I got some more to say about baby Jane but I assume we got some goofs too right do we got any goofs yeah um there there's no real interesting ones (laughs) I think the one that stood out to me is uh, a graphic after the credits identifies the film's main narrative as beginning quote unquote yesterday Though the events appear to take place over the course of several days. <laughs> I guess we're just living in that second day. Yeah, that is confusing. It should have just said like a week ago, but whatever. I mean, that's what the, the, the person here who wrote this up said. Uh, yesterday could merely be a, a synonym for in the past. <laughs> Sure. But then 
You could have just said present day like every other movie does, and you wouldn't have this problem. But then it's not as memorable, I guess. Yeah. But does that, is that sort of thing need to be memorable? <laughs> Probably not. Wouldn't you have just said 1962? In the same way you said 1917, 1935? I'm asking you, Colin, as the editor of this film. Um, <laughs> look, it, it, was, it was my choice that I made 60 years ago, and I stand by it. Well, I could always defend an artist's decision. Yeah. Um. All right, that's pretty good. Yeah. I do have a villain's wiki, of course. I had to have a villain's wiki for oh, this yeah. one. Uh, this is the uh, the portion of the podcast where I go to villain's wiki and I read about some of our favorite villains in John's Rogues Gallery. <laughs> all right, guys. We got baby Jane Hudson. She is an evil doer. <laughs> mm-hmm. She does evil. Full name is Jane Hudson. Alias, baby Jane. Origin, whatever happened to baby Jane. Occupation, actress. Formerly. Powers, skills. Manipul- manipulative mind expertise in psychological torture. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. I would say... P- Powers, skills... Uh, oh, wait, no. We'll get into more of this in hobbies. Hobbies. Singing. Mm-hmm. Drinking. And tormenting her sister. Yep. Those are some fucked up hobbies. <laughs> Goals. Become famous again. Failed. <laughs> well, I would argue that she's going to become infamous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll probably work out. Crimes. Kidnapping, murder, animal cruelty. Somehow it feels like there should be more. She's just so mean. <laughs> I'm just going to put mean. Yeah. All right, guys. And this is the part that's always just so goddamn hard, but I always got to ask it. The type of villain. What type of villain is Baby Jane Hudson? Anyone want to throw out a guess? Um... Self-centered psychopath. I don't know. Self-centered. I don't agree with that. I do agree with psychopath, but I'm gonna go with psychotic, like psychotic, psychotic former child star. <laughs> I love the specificity on that. <laughs> um, but I'm sorry, she's a delusional abuser. I just like really you guys good. clues. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. I like that one. That's a good descriptor for her. Well, remember what we learned last time is when a villain is from a book, <laughs> uh, the person who wrote villain, the villain's wiki might have read a book once, so it'll probably be a little smarter. Forgot. Oh, yeah, I forgot that rule. That's the new rule, that if it's from a book, it's probably going to be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Also, I wonder if this is this is probably the first time we've ever had a villain on villains or John's Rogues Gallery, whatever it's called. That was on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains list. I don't think anyone else we've covered has been on that list. I don't think Buddy Love was on that list. Um, She was ranked number 44. So, man, in the top 50 uh, of villains and heroes. Pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, it scares the fuck out of me. I could imagine them doing a sequel where, like, she, she breaks out. 
It's like how they made uh, multiple psychos. It's fucking we, weirdest. We should franchise. watch those at some point. The Psycho sequels. Yeah. Psycho two. I've I haven't seen the other ones. I kind of like Psycho two. Hmm. It's really interesting. I watched somebody's breakdown. Maybe it was Red Letter Media did a breakdown of all the sequels. They did. They, they talked about all of them. They sound fascinating. <laughs> I feel like they liked the second and the third one. When, They're just weird movies. When did these come out? The 80s. The 80s. <laughs> yeah, Psycho 2 is like 1983. Huh. And then Psycho 3 is a little bit after that. Yeah. And then there's a made-for-TV Psycho 4 that's like half modern day, half like flashbacks. Mm-hmm. But they all got Anthony Perkins, and that one's in the early 90s. And I think he directed the fourth one. Um, I don't remember who did the other ones. But uh, good shit, Psycho Two. <laughs> check it out. All right. Before we check that out, though, gotta do next episode. My, my my big pick. I almost said my little pick. My big pick. Yeah. My big old pickle. Gross. Um, yeah, I don't Man, maybe I should pick Psycho 2. No, no, no. You guys already know what I'm going to pick. Because I, pre- I already talked about it a couple weeks ago. i got to pick Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, uh, It's another one of those movies, like uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, that's just one of those kind of horror movies that I've just never seen, not for any particular reason. I just haven't gotten around to it. It's on Shudder, finally getting around to it. I haven't even watched it yet and i've already got a hundred hot takes on it (laughs) i have so much to talk about i have so many angles to go down Mm -hmm. uh about the production about bram stoker and uh i can even talk about how i grew up in an anti-gary oldman family (laughs) for some reason because you know there's there's families out there that are anti-gary oldman families and i'm one of them So we'll get into that. It'll be fun. Yeah. I look forward to that. Uh, if you want to listen to more of our podcasts, you can head over to mildlypleased.com or you can search us in, uh, not iTunes, but I guess under Apple Podcasts. Uh, and over That's at. iTunes, too. What? I think it's iTunes too. If you're on Windows, if you want to, okay. if it's if it's your cup of tea, I, I, I always am not sure if iTunes is still a thing. I guess it is. If it, <laughs> yeah. It's not a thing on your phone and your Mac, but if you are a Windows user and you are wanting to suffer through bad software, <laughs> iTunes is still a thing for you. Okay. Well, thank you for that educational bit of information. Uh, over at mildlypleased.com. We're working our way through Shocktober. This year we're reviewing a bunch of Halloween TV episodes and specials. It's It's been fun. I gotta, I gotta post. It's been fun, but most of the stuff has not been good. Yeah, I mean... I think we, <laughs> but that's kind of the fun of that. it. Yeah, we're... we're we're not going for prestige television here, and that's that's okay. Um, so you can check that out. Uh, and you can tune in next time to find out whatever happened to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>